Greetings, friends and family. It is the weekend of Sunday, June the 6th. We continue in our study of Hebrews, picking up where we left off last week as we started to look at the priesthood of Melchizedek and how um, G- how that is prophetic and how that is um, an allegory of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And so we pick the story back up again today. And, and now we're going to take an, another look at this from the other point of view. And in this in this next section, we see the ministry of Jesus by contrast with the Levitical priesthood. And here the writer of Hebrews shows us the incompleteness and the weakness of every source of help outside of Jesus Christ. As in the words from the old hymn, you see all other ground is sinking sand. So, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. going to look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 4 through 10 here, and reading from the NIV. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. So we've already seen in this letter that the job of a priest is to make one fit for life, able to cope, if you will. The Levitical priests of the old order were an ancient type of psychiatrist. They, they offered help to men and women in the problems of just day-to-day life. As we read the Old Testament insightfully, we will see that that, that is exactly the function that they fulfilled. They were, they were there to help others with problems, with problems of guilt, with stress, with confusion, uncertainty. Now, the argument of the writer of Hebrews here is, is really simple. They point out that these Levitical priests derived their authority by descent from Abraham. Therefore, they could never acknowledge any greater help than Abraham could have offered. But Abraham acknowledged the supremacy of Melchizedek by paying tithes to him. Therefore, the help available in the Levitical priest was, by comparison, incomplete. It was secondary. It was limited, temporary. These priests were limited by the humanity of Abraham, just as any psychiatrist or psychologist today is limited by their own humanity. They can, they can only go so far. They, they help, the help that they give is, in fact, very real. Let's, let's not confuse the issue or refuse to face facts. Psychiatrists and psychologists often give much real help, but... It's only to a degree, only within a limit, only so far. That's the argument of the writer here. Just how far is revealed in the next division where we learn that the ministry of Jesus Christ supersedes the law. So picking back up chapter 7, verse 11 through 19, Jesus, like Melchizedek. 
If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, for it is declared. One thing clearly marked the fact that the old priesthood was no longer acceptable as help for humanity. It was the appearance of a new priest with a different address and a different ancestry. And if the old priesthood went, well, then the law with it had to go. That's the argument here. This new priest had quite a different address. He came from the tribe of Judah instead of the tribe of Levi. Now, Judah was not a priestly tribe at all, but a kingly tribe. And the new priest was a king. So obviously some changes has to be made. And so if God recognizes Christ as a priest, then there has been a change. The law, which was part of the old priesthood, has, has been set aside. Also, the new priest has a different ancestry. It's not, it was not necessary for him to trace his genealogy back to Abraham. No, as a priest, he has no genealogy. He ministers in the power of an endless life. He had no beginning, no ending, but continues forever. So the law, which is only temporary, has to go. It had an inherent weakness in it that could not supply what the flesh and its frailty lacked. So every priest, every psychologist, every counselor, every behavior consultant, whether they realize it or not, is continually working with the law. Well, how? By seeking to relate people to reality. That is basically what the law is, the revelation of reality. It is the way things are. Any knowledgeable psychologist or psychiatrist tries to help the people who come to see things as they are. That's their entire ministry. There's nothing else that they can do, but even that is sometimes very difficult to help. Dr. Henry Brandt, a well-known Christian psychologist, was speaking, and he referred to James chapter 3, Verse 14, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Dr. Brandt said this is very illuminating because it reveals what we usually do when we have strife, envy, bitter, jealousy, or selfish ambition in our hearts. We cover it over and glory, actually boast in our ability to pretend that we do not have it there. So we lie against the truth. Have we ever said to someone, you know, I felt like telling that person off, but, but I, I didn't say a word. I just smiled sweetly, didn't say a word, but golly, it burns me up. You know what the worst thing about that is? We think that it's Christian behavior. We think we have done the Christian quote unquote thing because we've covered up our, our enmity and hidden it away, play acting. We're pretending that it wasn't there. But James goes on to point out that it comes from a low source, the wisdom which is not from above but is earthly, 
sensual, devilish, he says, that we think is spiritual. Dr. Brandt says that sensual means pleasurable. The problem we discover when someone tries to help us is that we like to be bitter. It's pleasurable to feel this way towards somebody. We like to be angry and mull things over in our minds, to bear grudge, to nurse a spirit of hatred against someone. We like it. We don't want to give it up. It is pleasurable. And the job of any psychiatrist or psychologist, Christian or otherwise, is to help us to see that we are hiding the truth from ourselves. We are deceiving ourselves. But that is as far as they can go. Once self-discovery comes, well, what then? Well, under the old order, a man would take a sacrifice to the priest, and the priest would offer it, and this, for the moment at least, removing the guilt of the act. Though the problem remained, the guilt from it was removed. That's what the modern priest does. A psychiatrist attempts to dispel guilt by helping their clients see the problem in a different light. Or if they're a Christian psychologist or, or, or psychiatrist, to help the patient see that that God has already given them in Christ and forgiven them in Christ and, and so removes the guilt. But the basic problem essentially remains if resolving guilt is all that's done. The psychiatrist may rearrange the problem so it does not grate so strongly on the patient or on others, but basically the problem remains. As C.S. Lewis puts it, no clever arrangement of bad eggs will ever make a good omelet. You see, self-discovery is the end of the line as far as the human counselor, priest, psychiatrist, or what have you can go. But what lies beyond that? Well, if we don't go any further, eventually despair is what lies beyond that. That's what Paul reflects on in Romans chapter 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, the good that I would do, I do not. And the very things that I hate, I catch myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can set me free from this body of death. Well, that is where this word of Hebrews comes in. There is a priest who can go further. There is a wisdom, James says, which is from above to be received as a gift. It is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be uh, with, without partiality, without hypocrisy, waiting to be received. What the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, judged sin in the flesh that the righteousness that the law demanded might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. It's Romans 8. That which is worthless, that which is weak and useless has been set aside and a new hope has been introduced, which brings us near to the creator God. So now let's return to the, to the, to the text for one more contrast. Not only is the ministry of Jesus superior in greatness to the priesthood of the old, and it supersedes the incompleteness, the temporariness of the law, but in his person, he himself surpasses all that. Any human priest can do. So picking up with chapter 7, verse 20 through 26. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath. But he became priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. 
Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But Jesus, but, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to, to, to save completely those who come to God through him because he lives, he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. So let's see. So see the argument in the old order. The priest never took an oath because the law was temp, was a temporary measure. It was never the ultimate divine intention for the control of us, of humanity. It never was. It was necessary, but it was never the permanent divine intention. But in Jesus, in Christ, the permanent program has come. So his ministry was confirmed with an oath. God says then, I'm not going to change my mind. You will never be able to find any other program that works. Never. You, you will not find in all the writings of mankind, in all the thinking of the world, another way of, achieve, of achieving this proper human standing. This, I will never change my mind because this is permanent. There is no end. There is no plan B. It is just plan A and his name is Jesus. So furthermore, the old priests inevitably died. And the help that they could offer, well, that ended with them. It terminated as well. But here's a psychiatrist, a psychologist who never dies, who never moves away, who's never off duty. So with him, there is no breakdown. He can save to the uttermost. Is that not amazing news? As I've heard someone put it, from the guttermost to the uttermost. No wonder then that the writer of Hebrews says in verse 26, is it fitting that we should have this kind of priest? Very fitting. He is just made for us in our pressure-filled, hectic, mobile, highly tensioned, torn, stressed, worrisome, anxiety-filled days. There's an acrostic with the name of Jesus. There's several, but there's one that I ran across that G-J-E-S-U-S just exactly suits us sinners. Now, what is the key that releases this ministry to us? It is written all through Hebrews. You could say in a word, it is what it's about. Faith. Not belief. I did not say belief. We all believe this, but not everyone is acts on this, exercising faith. You see, faith is a venture. Faith is putting our foot out on a principle. Faith is attempting it, trying it. So unless we make continual demands on Christ's love and power, well, how else are we going to learn that we can never, ever touch the bottom? We'll pick it up and continue again next week. I'd like to close by reading Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. And God bless.